Welcome to this Peer Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash WPN. This activity is supported by an educational grant from AstraZeneca. Welcome to this Peer Voice activity on EGFR mutant non-small cell lung cancer. This activity comprises two presentations featuring a panel of experts. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello everyone, my name is Marina Chiara Garassino. I am the director of the Thoracic Oncology Program at the University of Chicago. Welcome to the CME activity discussing the adjuvant therapy in early stage EGFR mutant non-small cell lung cancer. And joining with me today in this discussion are my colleagues, Dr. Christian Grohi from Berlin. Nice to meet you and I'm happy to discuss the details with you today. And Dr. Stephen Liu from Georgetown University, Washington DC in the United States. Thanks for having me, Marina. Until recently, the standard of care for early-stage non-small cell lung cancer was just the surgical resection plus or minus the radiation and the platinum-based chemotherapy, depending on the stage and the type of cancer. However, in the recent years, we saw great advances for the treatment of the early stages in non-small cell lung cancer and in particular, we saw the advent of ozimertinib in patients with EGFR mutants and also the advent of the adjuvant therapy with immunotherapy in pdl one positive. So, starting from a question to Dr. Liu, Stephen, what is the rationale of using the adjuvant target therapies and in particular ozimertinib in the early stage EGFR nosebor cell lung cancer? I think it's an appropriate question. We know that in the stage four setting, targeted therapy is clearly superior to chemotherapy. In the adjuvant setting, we're really targeting microscopic disease, which may or may not be there. But it stands to reason that if the drug is effective in the late stages, we would expect it to be effective in the earlier stages. And we do know that EGFR mutations do occur in earlier stage lung cancer. Right, Marina? Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, we know very well that uh, the uh, mutations can be in all the stages with a similar proportion. And we know also that uh, we have an enrichment uh, in the Asian population and not just the Asian population, but all the population that they have uh, in Asian background. And we have to remember also in particular the non-smoker population where we can have at least 50% of EGFR mutations or all the targets in this subpopulation. So the question is, can we improve the outcomes for patients with early stage EGFR mutant non-small cell lung cancer? What do the, te- what do the data tell us, uh, Christian? So when we identify uh, EGFR mutation in endocarcinomas at the very early stage, we can use that information to treat patients with ozimertinib. And the ADAWA trial, which was a large trial, showed that the both disease-free survival and other outcome parameters really showed the benefit of that. So in the data set, we have uh, clear evidence uh, from stage 1b to 3a, that there's an improvement in outcome using TKIs in this setting. Yeah, and we have to remember that in this case, ozimertinib was given up to three years, and this was different also from the other tyrosine kinase inhibitors. 
And there is another point for the CNS metastasis, which yeah. I believe is important. I think uh, what we do know in patients with EGR-mutated lung cancer, that very often, very frequently, they develop brain metastasis. And for that reason, yeah, the use of ozimertinib and adjuvant setting clearly shows that this is a benefit for the population, the uh, prevention of the development of central nervous metastases. Yeah, thank you. This is very important. Also, if we have to remember that in the ADORA trial, the brain MRI was not mandatory in the trial. So we don't know if these patients were screened very well from the beginning, but there is a clear prevention of the brain metastasis in this setting. And uh, I think that uh, it's important also to see if there is a, different, uh, of, uh, be- a difference of benefit uh, in the subgroup analysis for these patients. Uh, are there yeah. all the patients? Uh, in the sub-analysis of disease-free survival, we do see that we don't really require in some patients to use adjuvant cisplatinum-based chemo. We can use TKI for three years and we still have a high benefit with incredible hazard ratios as you've seen here on this slide. And what I really like about this study is that we have to deal with an elderly population by now, well above 70 years of age, at least in Europe, in my situation I'm working in, and that we can offer now adjuvant uh, uh, therapy without the use of chemo, I think, is in the discussion. Yeah, I, I agree also if we have always to remember that the chemotherapy is the only treatment that demonstrated an increase in terms of overall survival. So I think that we should discuss case by case uh, this particular situation. However, it's also important to remember that the quality of life of the patients when treated with ozimertinib uh, was basically the same as the patients that they were treated to pl- with placebo. So the reality is that all the patients receiving uh, the ozimertinib for three years, uh, they did not have uh, a, a worsened quality of life. And I think that, as you said, is also very important for the treatment of uh, our patient. So uh, moving again uh, to a question to Stephen. So um, we know that we have uh, several recommendations uh, uh, for the treatment uh, of ozimertinib. Can you just uh, review the recommendations for the chemotherapy and also for the ozimertinib? Sure, sure, Marina. Happy to do so. Uh, as you mentioned, cisplatin-based chemotherapy, platinum doublet chemotherapy, is our preferred option, certainly for stage two and three, resected non-small cell lung cancer, where we know we have a survival benefit. Uh, The use of chemotherapy in earlier stages is not standard and certainly in stage 1A, not recommended. Postoperative radiation therapy was routinely given for N2 positive resected lung cancer, but after the lung art study, really that's fallen out of favor and not currently recommended. And osimertinib is recommended where its strongest data is in resected stage 2 and 3, but currently also recommended in stage 1B, where chemotherapy would not necessarily be recommended in stage 1A, currently not in our recommendations, though it is technically FDA approved in that setting as well. Yeah, thank you for revising the discussion. So clearly, we can move to a very practical question. So how do you organize your uh, uh, clinic and when do you test these patients for EGFR mutation? And do you test also for the other targets that this is clearly outside the guidelines, but it's something that maybe is coming? 
So I can, we certainly do testing in our setting and we don't do single gene assay. It just seems like a step backwards. We still do full NGS. And while the only approved TKI in the setting is osimertinib for EGFR mutant lung cancer, I do think knowing if a tumor has an ALK fusion or ROS1 fusion is critical to me. While there may be no data for TKI use in that setting yet, I certainly would not recommend adjuvant immunotherapy in that setting, for example. So while there are costs to NGS and to that testing, I think it's offset to avoiding giving the wrong drug for a year. Yeah, I fully agree. We try to test also the patients for NGS in general, also if it is not recommended. So for the centers who are not able to run the NGS, is enough also just to test for EGFR and PDL1. But it's also important to remember what you said, that you can avoid a lot of immunotherapy if you find a positive test. And uh, Christian, you mentioned before the, you, about the use of the chemotherapy. How can you decide who is the patient for the chemotherapy and uh, who is just the patient for osimertinib? Clearly, outside the stage that we know that for the 1B, we can avoid the chemotherapy. You know, in general, to be very honest, you know, the discussion with the patient before the op uh, operational procedure or in, in general is a very important issue to show what is the perspective. And telling the patient that he needs an adjuvant therapy is something where you have to convince some of the patients, especially the elderly population. And for these patients, you can now offer a different kind of option. I think this is very important news for the patients. It's not related to chemo and maybe the memory or the experience with chemo. Uh, with relatives they had before. So now offering different kind of options is definitely something. And in particular, the use of NTKI such as osimertinib is something very really, uh, smart for some of the patients. In general, comorbidities play a role. And in, uh, we have seen a lot of patients who stopped after two cycles as platinum-based chemo due to toxicity. So managing these kind of profile by now with more options is definitely something, a step into the right direction. Yeah, and Stephen, do you give the chemo to all the patients or you spare some of them? Well, I do think that, as you mentioned, this is a survival benefit. And I would consider that standard. And while some patients really try to avoid chemotherapy uh, rather than acquiesce immediately, I try to understand why. I think a lot of patients are very scared of chemotherapy because they have certain preconceived notions about what that is. When we explain that we're quite a bit better at giving chemotherapy than we were a decade ago, a lot of times patients will sort of cautiously proceed. And I, I do think that would be standard still one tolerant. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you. I think that in 2022, we have to discuss with each single patient what to do and what not to do and also ask for the patient preference. And one final question to Christian. So um, we discussed that in the United States, we test immediately or we try to test with NGS in the beginning. What is your experience in Europe? And if you find a different target, for example, ROS1 or ALK, do you go with, you, do you just go with the uh, correspondent tyrosine kinase inhibitors or you can't extra extrapolate the results for other targets? So first of all, I, I'm a strong believer that testing is mandatory for all patients who are considered to receive any kind of systemic therapy, neoadjuvant, adjuvant, stage 3B and 4, to exclude certain options and to include other options. But uh, there are no clinical data showing the benefit of other trial mutations at the early stages. At the moment, we have a lot of clinical trials com coming and going on. At, but the, um, the information per se 
to have a red fusion or to have uh, a MET uh, skipping for 14, exon 14 mutation is very important to navigate the patient's history in the near future. So I think this imp- is, that's a different kind of clinical course. We can um, have a better surveillance for the patient. I think this is very important. And then waiting for the approval of more drugs to come in that setting. Yeah, thank you. I just tried to summarize what we said. So in 2022, we have multiple options for the adjuvant treatment of our patients. And one important option in particular for the GFR mutants is ozimertinib. We have to remember that we have the results in increasing the disease-free survival and in the prevention of the brain metastasis, but we don't have the overall survival results yet. There is a recommendation to treat this patient from stage 1b to stage 3a when they are resected. And I think that all the panel is uh, agree that we have to test all the patients as soon as possible to give the right treatment and to avoid, in particular, the immunotherapy, perhaps or not. We will know in the future in these patients that they're not sensitive to the immunotherapy. I think that this is really important and testing, testing, testing is our message for today. Thank you for your attention. Hello everyone, my name is Marina Chiara Garassino. I am the director of the thoracic program at the University of Chicago. Welcome to the CME activity discussing the impact of the adjuvant therapy for early stage EGFR mutant nosmon cell lung cancer. Here with me today in this discussion are my colleagues, Christian Grohi from Berlin and Dr. Stephen Liu from Washington DC in the United States. So we discussed the ADORA trial and what they mean for our patient in the early stage nosmocellan cancer, but there are good pro and cons for the use of EGFR tyrosine kinase inhibitors in the early setting. So uh, Stephen, uh, what do the results of the previous study about tyrosine kinase inhibitor as adjuvant therapy in the early stage nosmocellan cancer? Tell us about the long benefit of this treatment. Sure, Marina, thanks for bringing that up. I think we can learn a lot from those studies. When we look at older trials like SELECT and RADIANT using earlier generation first-gen EGFR TKIs, we notice certain patterns that while you're taking the TKI, the DFS uh, rate is, is quite impressive and relapse is very unlikely. But once you stop the TKI, we see that relapse rates occur and, and those curves really do come together. I think the most applicable study really is the adjuvant Tong study, a study conducted in China where patients with resected EGFR mutant lung cancer were randomized to gefitinib or chemotherapy. Initially, there was significant DFS benefit with TKI over chemotherapy. But once the TKI stopped after two years, those DFS curves come together. By three years, they're quite close. By five years, they cross. And as you might expect, that meant there was no difference in long-term overall survival. Uh, add to that the toxicity with therapy. And, you know, toxicities, while they are anticipated, while they are low-grade, if we look at the adjuvant afatinib study, for example, uh, even though we are being proactive with toxicity management, uh, the majority of patients are unable to complete the planned course of therapy. Yeah, and I think that we have to remember that in the ADORA trial, the drug was given for three years compared, for example, to the radiant where it was for two years or 
the other trials. So also maybe the duration can have an impact. So uh, what is, uh, Stephen, uh, your optimal duration of the adjuvant therapy? So for example, do you stop early if there is some toxicity? What, what, is, what are your um, clinic in these patients? Well, we start treatment as the data tells us to. If we're going to use adjuvantosimertinib, my intention is to complete a three-year course. But these toxicities for some patients are notable. And I have had patients who were unable to complete on the three-year course and had to stop a little bit early. And upon stopping, we simply moved to observation a bit earlier. Christian, uh, what do you think uh, about uh, the treatment toxicity and uh, the uh, tolerance of these patients with the tyrosine kinase inhibitors? Just to mention that three years or 36 months is a fairly long period of time for most of our patients just to uh, be on a continuous treatment option. So they will encounter certain kind of problems, but we have just to get more management control mechanism into that kind of cohort of patients. So we have to manage side effects uh, to control toxicity and to optimize treatment outcome in these patients. I think this is the important issue. The key message for me is just like get people convinced that the treatment option is the right one and to understand uh, what is the best toxicity profile problem we can, how we can manage that for the patient. I think this is manageable, and the most of our problems are GI problems related to TKIs, but I think we have a large uh, experience in that um, context, so I think we can just like do that. Yeah, it's just I a agree, question. and also a grade 1 and grade 2 toxicity for 3 years can be a problem for many patients. Another point is that uh, as we mentioned that the only treatment which is able to increase the overall survival in 2022 is still the chemotherapy. And the LACE meta-analysis showed a clear and proportional hazard impact uh, of the overall survival corresponding to an absolute benefit of 5-6%, but still is the only treatment able to increase the overall survival for these patients. I think this is a very important issue you're addressing. It's just like to be very clear to the patient that, uh, that we have not really data for overall survival for the moment. And what Stephen just addressed is the question, do we have a relapse? We can control the clonal expansion of the EGFR mutated lung cancer, but we cannot completely eradicate it. So this is something we have to discuss. We have good DFS data. There will be more data from Medora and other clinical trials. But at the moment, we have to discuss this will at least control your disease burden. I think this is very important for the patient, I think. And this is manageable with the, with a drug like osimertinib. Yeah, and I come to the last question. I think that we are struggling on how to continue after the osimertinib relapse. And uh, uh, I think that is important, for example, for me to stay in a comprehensive cancer center where we have research options, but I think that maybe the chemotherapy is still the standard, uh, and how do you continue in these patients? So I think it really depends on the circumstances of that relapse, and if it happens while someone is taking osimertinib versus after someone has completed and is off osimertinib. In, in the latter, if someone's already stopped TKI and then relapses, we would just restart that TKI, but if someone were to relapse or progress while taking osimertinib, then we really follow the algorithms in our stage four setting. Chemotherapy, I think, would be the standard, but we would probably biopsy and try to identify mechanisms or reveal histologic transformation. Mm -hmm. Is the same in Europe? 
Well, I think in the best of all worlds, we would like to do things like that, of course, to obtain more information, how to treat these patients, find out about commutations, which might play a role in the overall benefit for the patient. I think this is very important. And rebiopsy, of course. Yeah. I think here again, is tissue is the issue. It's yeah, just I agree. And stay tuned also with the antibody drug conjugates and with other combinations like uh, imivantanab and lazertinib that they, maybe they are coming. So if we are lucky, we will have multiple options for the treatment of this patient. So I just want to remember also the results uh, coming from the metastatic setting of ozimertinib comparing uh, the uh, EGFR uh, tyrosine kinase inhibitors, uh, gefitinib and erlotinib, that they were grouped uh, all together. And uh, this raised also the question if we can create uh, a sequence uh, of treatments uh, for these patients, because clearly when we start with ozimertinib, we can't continue, we can't continue again with another tyrosine kinase uh, uh, inhibitors. So what is your uh, optimal sequence uh, for uh, uh, the EGFR tyrosine uh, uh, with the EGFR mutant patients? Well, for us, I really think that osimertinib is what we start with. And while you could make a sequencing argument of early generation to late generation, I think it really is the CNS efficacy that, that pushes osimertinib to a preferred frontline status. Yeah, and do you use, for example, combinations like also erlotinib and ramucirumab that, again, we had results uh, in progression-free survival but not in overall survival yet? Well, at least within the situation we have at, at, at stage four, if finally the patient develops um, distant metastasis, we can use that option. But I would rather go for the rebiopsy first to see what happened to the tumor. And we have seen different kind of escape mechanisms on and off target in osimertinib-treated, long-term treated patients in stage four patients. So we definitely have to have a learning curve there to understand how we treat these patients and get another approach, as you have mentioned before. Maybe there are new mutations coming on, new targeted drug options we have. So we have to learn a, a lot of things about that. I think that's part of the overall situation. Yeah, I have uh, just one final question for you, you both. So do you think that in the future we'll, we'll personalize uh, the adjuvant treatment for EGFR mutants, for example, according uh, with commutations, with the liquid biopsy and with other options, and we will be able to tailor better the treatments or it will be um, the same uh, for all? I think, you know, starting with the liquid biopsy option, I think this definitely will be a tool which is very important both for screening programs, not only CT scans, but also using CTDNA and for management of um, the situation, how the patient relapses and how does he relapse, we have to have more options for that, more tools at our hands. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that what we need is a detection of minimal residual disease. And there are downsides to using adjuvant TKIs, any adjuvant therapy, um, the exposure of toxicity, both biologic and financial. And we really want to deliver those treatments where they're needed for patients that are already cured. We'd like to avoid that therapy. So some detection of who needs more treatment is really our next big step. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. I try just to wrap up what we said. So we have to remember that ozimertinib is able to increase the disease-free survival, but we don't know if this disease-free survival will translate it into a better overall survival. The second point that we have to remember that we have a very few great 
three uh, uh, adverse events with osimertinib, but we have a good number of patients still with grade one, grade two toxicities. But again, the quality of life was very similar in the placebo arm and the osimertinib arm. I think that in the future, we will try to shape a better treatment for these patients and maybe to personalize according to the liquid biopsy and to other factors that we are going to discover. And clearly, we have always to remember the costs of the treatment for the society and for our patients. And thank you for your attention and thank you for joining me today. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.